thanks Roger and Renee for leading our music this morning. I have to tell you that in this time as a church where we're not able to gather together, I'm so encouraged to see how many people in our church are stepping up in different ways to continue to serve one another and support the ministry of music and the, and the ministry of teaching God's word together and just being the church as best we can in this time when we're not physically gathered. Watching all of you do that has been so encouraging for me in this kind of long dry season of not getting to meet together. Just this past week we had one of the caterers in our church say, hey, I've got some food and, and I can make this and he made some food for us. And then we had several other people uh, come to the church and say, hey, I'd be happy to grab some of those meals and deliver them to people. So we had, I think, five different people come by just this past week and grab some of those meals and take them to other people's houses who are in the church and just seeing different people with joy step up and say this is what i can do this is how i want to help out all within the guidelines that the oregon health authority has given us finding ways to continue to love and serve one another when i see that kind of stuff happening i get really encouraged as i see god's work in each of you so to all of you who were involved whether it was the the food delivery or in music or in other behind the scenes ways involved in reaching out and connecting with community life groups, let me just encourage you to keep doing it because it is so encouraging to me. And I know it blesses other people in the church as well. And it ultimately honors God. I do want to ask, church, how are you? <laughs> how are you doing at this point? We are now a, a month into this period of, of physical distancing to the point where we can't actually even gather. And, and a month is quite a while. And so I don't know how you're feeling. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm feeling right now. I mentioned this this past week on our midweek uh, live stream. I, I sort of feel a little bit like the slinky dog, you know, from Toy Story, where his front end can stretch out and get way far ahead of, of the back end. And I feel like, you know, when this period of not meeting started, boy, for my own self, it's like there was so much to do. We got to figure out how are we going to, you know, stream Bible teaching and music? What is it going to look like to be the church when the church can't gather? And, and there was so much spirit of, yes, we can do this and, and we have done it and it's been good. But, but for a few weeks, there was just a lot of, of tasks to do and decisions to make. And my, my front end sort of got way ahead on that. And I think the, the emotional impact of not being together kind of got left in the dust for a while, but but personally, I've kind of felt that back end kind of catching up to my front a little bit as well this week. I feel like my, my emotional experience of not being able to gather physically and, and meet with all of you like we normally do is finally kind of catching up with me a little bit, and I'm feeling even more so now the weight as this time drags on of the social and physical isolation that we are in, and I'm sure many of you are as well. Um, this is not going to last forever, thank God, and hopefully it won't even last for long. But at this point, we still don't know exactly when it is we're going to be able to gather together as a church. And so what I want to do with us this morning as we open up God's Word together this Sunday and next Sunday is look to God's Word for some resources and some encouragement and some hope to sustain us through a difficult time. Now, the things that we're going to see in the Bible this morning apply to Christians in any difficult time, but, but maybe we'll see specific applications for us right now as a church in this particular time of physical isolation. So I'd like to start by leading us in prayer. Let me just pray for us and invite you to join me in prayer. Would you just join me in your spirit as we pray together for God's work through this uh, period of social isolation in our church and other churches and in people's lives in the community around us. And then we're going to open up the Bible together. Let's pray. 
God, I do want to thank you for your many, many graces that are evident and manifest in what is a difficult time. It's true, you, you, you made us uh, social and interactive beings. We, we need to be in one another's presence. We need to be in relationship with one another. And that's making this time of physical isolation really difficult for all of us here in this church. And we know for people all over our city and all over our community, all over our country right now. Uh, this is a hard time, and yet to see so many people step up and go out of their way to find ways to still love and still serve is such an encouragement. So even, God, while we acknowledge that, that the way things are right now is not the way that, that you mean them to be, and it's not the way that we need to be sustained for the long run, at the same time, I thank you for the grace that I see in the lives of so many members of this church to love one another, serve one another, and work a little extra hard to reach out to and touch one another uh, relationally in whatever ways that we can. God, with that in mind, I want to pray that you would bring a healthy and speedy end to this viral pandemic that we are in. God, we are asking that you would move us through the period of time where it seems so unsafe for so many people due to the risk of infection for us to be going about normal life. We pray that you'd bring that time period to an end. God, we pray that those who are particularly susceptible to this virus, God, would you protect them? Would you protect their health and their lives? Would you support and encourage and empower our healthcare system to be able to treat those who do come down with the illness God, we just pray for a swift and healthy and speedy recovery to this time of isolation, that we could be back together again as friends, as families, as a church, the way that you mean us to be. God, in the meantime, I want to pray that you would sustain us as a church at a time where it's starting to wear on a little bit longer. It just feels like this time of isolation is not really new anymore. And so, God, we, we seek your um, sustaining grace. I, I want to pray especially this morning, Father, for those in our church who have younger children at home or teenagers at home, where moms or dads or both may be trying to figure out working or working remotely or dealing with the disruptions to our own lives, but then we've got our own kids, we've got school assignments, we've got kids who are missing their friends. There's so many layers of complexity for families in our church, and God, I want to pray for your sustaining grace. I pray that you would help moms and dads be wise about what's really most important right now. God, where we need to let go of some of the expectations we might normally put on ourselves or even on our kids in light of the environment we're living in to create an environment of grace, help us to do that. And yet, Father, where we need to maintain standards and expectations so that our lives are ordered and we can get along well, God, I pray that you would give parents and children wisdom as to how to navigate these times. God, as a church, help us to love and support the families in our midst as best we can. God, I also want to pray for those uh, people in our church who are living alone. God, who, who go home not necessarily to a wife or a husband or kids or roommates, but may be going home to even more isolation, and the isolation may feel even weightier for some of us. And God, I pray that, that you also would give those who are living alone a very special touch of sustaining grace. God, I pray that there would be sufficient relational connections with other people and significant deep times with you in your word and in prayer that you would sustain our souls with one another. And once again, Father, as a church, help us remember one another. Take the initiative to reach out to one another. Love and encourage one another well. God, would you sustain us through this time? And lastly, God, I want to pray that, that the gospel would spread through our community. 
in this time. God, I pray even as we, as, a, as your church, reach out to one another, love one another, serve one another, that you would give us the eyes to see neighbors and, and friends around us, the, the courage to reach out and to say hello, to make contact. I pray, God, that the sustaining love and grace that's evident in this church would be something you use to draw many other people to yourself, to make you, Jesus, look in the eyes of people as beautiful as you really are, the most beautiful one in the world. God, you are the one whom we need to be in relationship with the most. As much as we need one another, and you designed that, we ultimately need you. We need to be part of your family together. And so, God, I pray that you would draw our friends and neighbors into saving faith in Christ. I pray for everybody tuning in to this stream, especially those, Jesus, who don't have a relationship with you as Lord and Savior. God, would you reveal your love to them in a way that will impact their hearts. Show us today how much you love us and draw us closer to yourself. And for those of us, Jesus, who are following you, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the grace to reach out to people and take initiative and express the love of Christ for people in our words and in our actions in the way that we love one another. God, just use this time right now, I pray, as we open up your word. Would you equip us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us the tools to walk the path you have given us to walk and to walk it effectively? We pray that you would use us for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. I find myself praying more and more for God's sustaining grace in this time, and I want to encourage you to do that as well. I mentioned that we're going to spend a couple of Sundays looking to God's Word for, for sustaining grace in times of difficulty. And we're going to spend two Sundays in one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and that's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Today we're going to do 1 through 4, and next week we'll pick up 5 through 11. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read our passage together, and then we're going to back up and walk through this. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For in your own struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. God, would you open up our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. Teach us now, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. I ran cross-country when I was in high school. Um... And I definitely learned some things about running distance races from that experience. I used to say when I was in high school that, that running was 60% mental and 40% physical. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what I thought about it at the time. Because like in my experience, in the middle of a long race, um, the motivation becomes the key factor. At some level, the body is doing what it can do, but the real issue becomes what is the mind willing 
to do. That's what makes all of the difference. Uh, this came home most clearly to me in probably my best and definitely most grueling race ever. I was, it was actually the league championship, the, the league finals, my sophomore year of high school. Uh, the school I went to had a very large cross-country team. There were many junior and senior guys that could fill out the entire varsity squad. And so, although I was a pretty good runner as a sophomore, I was running in the freshman-sophomore division. And I had won most of those meets throughout the year individually. And so going into the league finals, I was like, I had a really good chance to win the whole freshman-sophomore race individually. Until shortly before the league final race, there was a rival high school who had a freshman wonder kid who had joined their cross-country team. He was a year younger than me, but he was an amazing athlete. He ran varsity his freshman year all year long and was placing very well. He was beating more varsity runners than he was losing to. He was a very solid varsity runner as a freshman just getting started in his high school running career. Well, his school didn't have enough people on their team to populate a full varsity squad, so they dropped him down to the freshman-sophomore level for the league race just to let him run that one and win as an individual. It was a totally legal move. And so suddenly I realized I was going to be racing somebody who was used to going further than me and racing much better competition. Well, race day came, and I decided to go out hard and fast. I thought, I've, I've never talked to this guy, I've never run against him, but I know he's there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him know that I was not going to be intimidated. I was going to seize control of this race from the beginning. And so when the gun sounded, I took off, and I was running fast and hard. And he was running right with me. I mean, I could hear his footsteps right behind me off my right shoulder. A hundred yards in, it was already down to a two-man race. This was like a two-point, little over two-mile race, 2.2-mile race. And we're a hundred yards in, it's already down to two men. We've, we'd pulled way ahead of the rest of the crowd. We were just flying. And I was out in front. I was doing what I wanted to do. And so I spent the first quarter of the race kind of making my point. I'm going to run hard, and I'm going to make you work for this. But he hung with me every step of the way. About a quarter mile into it, I figured, or a quarter of the way into the race, rather, a half mile into it, I figured, I better start slowing down here and, and settle into a more sustainable pace, because we've got some hills coming, and we got, you know, a full two-mile race to run, and so I backed off and slowed down into what I considered to be a more sustainable race pace, at which point he blew right by me and kept going at the same pace that we had been running before. So I immediately sped up again, and now I'm right behind him. And I spent the second quarter of the race kind of thinking, okay, fine. <laughs> I made my point. You've now made your point. You're not going to slow down. You're in the lead now. That's fine. But I was sort of waiting in this maybe second quarter of the race for him to finally decide to slow down into his race pace, which he never really did. And so it finally dawned on me about halfway through the race, this was his race pace. <laughs> this was the sustainable pace. He was going to try to keep up for the whole race. And I was dying. I had never run that far that fast. We'd gone almost a mile in about five minutes over variable terrain. I had never run that far that fast in my life. And we were only halfway done. So I then spent the third quarter of the race questioning my existence. 
I, I mean, seriously, I was in agony. I was in pain. I was at least questioning how much longer my existence was going to last because I did not know if I could keep this up. I was in serious pain. And, and it's at that point that, that the mental battle really kicked in. You see, I needed a reason to stay at it because everything in me at this point wanted to just quit and surrender and let this guy go and lose the race. And in that moment, what keeps you in it when it's really hard and you're really in pain and you know you're not done? It's interesting in our passage this morning, the Bible uses a distance race as an analogy for the entire Christian life. It says to be a Christian is a lot like being in a distance race, and invariably we're going to hit a point where we need the motivation to go on. In fact, we often hit more than one of those points throughout our Christian lives. And this passage gives us three sources of such motivation that can keep us going when things are tough as followers of Jesus. The first source of motivation is knowing that God is the one who laid out the course. The second source of motivation is watching others who have run it and run it successfully. And the third source of motivation is watching Christ himself run it. Let's take a look at each of these in turn. You notice in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the second half of the verse, we'll come back to the first half in a moment, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice two things here. Uh, first of all, again, the Christian life is a, it's a race. And this is universally true for every Christian. Not just for some people who have to go through some things, but not for the rest of us. The Bible just lays this out as a good way of framing or of understanding what it means to be a Christian. What it means is to run a long, hard race. The Christian race is to fulfill the purposes that God has given me in this life. That involves things like uh, living for God rather than myself. That's laying aside sin. It involves things like extending the gospel in word and deed as we seek to make disciples of all nations, letting people know the good news of Jesus Christ and helping one another grow in our faith together. So there's this purpose in this race, but there's also a finish line. The, the finish line is, is death itself. This is a lifelong race. My race will end either when I die or if Jesus comes back before that. But for most Christians throughout history, it's a lifelong race that ends only when we die and go to meet our Savior face to face. And the prize, the prize is to meet him on that day, to cross that finish line and see Jesus with his beaming face, full of love and full of pride, embrace us and say, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. That's the, 
that's the white chalk line that I yearn to see pass beneath my feet. That's, that's the tape that I yearn to feel breaking across my chest as I cross that finish line and run into the embrace of my Savior King and experience His pleasure for then and for all eternity. So the Christian life is a race with a goal in mind that we are constantly shooting for, and it is that goal. But notice also, in the meantime, until we get to the end of that race, there's a certain path that we're going to have to run, and that path is not one of our choosing. Did you notice that at the end of verse 1? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it doesn't say run the race that we choose to run or, or run the race that we have set for ourselves. It says let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. It's already been laid out for us by God himself. You know, all the cross-country meets I ran as a high schooler, you're never running a course that you get to pick. You're running a course that's been laid out ahead of time by the race organizers. Athletes don't get to decide, I'm not running up that hill, that's too long and steep. I'd rather go around it where it's nice and flat, thank you very much. If the course goes up the hill, you're running up the hill. That decision is made for you. And in a similar way, the Bible tells us God is the one who is laying out the path that we're on. The parts of the path that we find pleasant and pleasurable and enjoyable, and the parts of the path that we find hard and grueling and even unexpected. God has laid out all of that for us. There's some great examples of this in the previous chapter. This is coming right on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11 which lists out by name so many Old Testament saints who had faithfully run their race of following God in their lives. You think about Abram, for example, earlier in Hebrews chapter 11. And this passage looks to him as an example of someone who was called by God to leave the comfort and the security of the land that he knew, where he knew the people and he knew the culture and he spoke the language. And God says, just leave all of that security behind and go off to a new land that I'm going to give you where you don't know anybody and you're going to be a foreigner and a stranger. It's a risky and uncomfortable move. Just go and trust me. That was Abraham's course. Abraham didn't choose that. God chose it for him. Likewise, we uh, encounter Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, who ran into a burning bush through which God spoke to him and, and told him to abandon his comfortable life in the family business that he was quite content with at that point in his life and instead to go back to Egypt and suffer with God's people and confront a powerful king and, and be in conflict with him and experience all the pain and difficulty of leading God's people out of Egypt. Moses didn't choose that. In fact, it's very clear in Exodus chapter 3, he didn't even really want it. God chose that path for him. Or just one more, consider Noah, who's also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. God told Noah to make an idiotic spectacle of himself by building a boat, a massive boat, when there was no visible need for it. And of course, Noah didn't just like wake up someday and say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of an independent thinker. I'm going to march to the beat of my own drum. I think I'm going to build a boat. Like, nobody would think of that. I'm going to go down in history as the guy who built a boat. That just sounds cool. I mean, right? That would be ridiculous. That's not at all what happened. God told him, Noah, do this. And so Noah did it. 
In every one of these cases, none of these guys chose their path. God chose it for them. And in a similar way, we don't choose our path either as Christians. We don't get to decide what it's going to look like for us to follow Jesus. He is the one who chooses our path for us. You know, five or six weeks ago, none of us foresaw, and I'm quite certain nobody would have chosen, the advent of this COVID-19 pandemic and all of the disruption that it is currently causing in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, in our churches. We didn't choose this, but here we are in the midst of it. So how do we run this race with endurance? How do we thrive? How do we succeed? How do we please God as Christians in this difficulty? Well, this passage urges us to, to lay aside any sin and anything else that, that weighs us down. Whatever weighs you down, this is going to be a long road to follow me all the way to death, Jesus says. And so you want to lay aside every weight, whether that's sin or anything else. It reminds me of the opportunities I've had to go backpacking in the mountains in Wyoming with some of the other guys in our church. We're functioning up at 10,000 feet where the air is a lot thinner for several days and hiking many, many miles uphill and you start weighing out everything in advance. You, you want to take as little weight as possible. It starts to lead you to think about what can you leave behind? What can you live without? Or what could you do that you, you need it, but you could do it differently. You could do it smaller. Every two or three ounces of weight you can drop is going to make a huge difference over a week of trekking in the thin air. What weight can I lay aside? That's what the Bible urges us to consider. Which leads me to a question I've, I've asked myself and I'm continuing to. I, I want to ask you too. The question is, how is this, this COVID-19 pandemic impacting your life right now? I mean, we're all in it, but we're not all necessarily experiencing the exact same impacts. How is it impacting you? Particularly, is there anything that's being stripped away from your schedule or your routine or the uh, activities and options that have been open to you previously? Is there anything that's been stripped away from you that would help you focus more on the race in front of you. God has ordained this race that we are in. And that means it's not a surprise to him. This did not catch him by surprise. Well, none of us foresaw it. God certainly did. And that also means that, that he knows that we can run it well. He knows that we will reach the finish line. We certainly can reach the finish line. And I find that an encouraging thought, which is exactly, I think, what the Bible is telling us it's supposed to be. I find that an encouraging thought in the midst of a really difficult time, especially when I hit that moment where I'm not sure I'm feeling like I can get through this thing successfully. It doesn't make the difficulty any easier or less painful but it can sure provide a, a fresh burst of internal energy, a fresh hope to say, but God is in control. God determined this path. And therefore, I can trust God that I can get through something. Right now, I'm not sure I can get through. I feel like I can get through very well. The first source of encouragement that this passage gives us as Christians following Jesus in a hard time 
is that we can know that it is God's race. It's God's race. God laid out the path. And strength to stay in the race comes from knowing that he is the one who has ordained this path. But there's more. There's more. Not only do we get strength from knowing that God is the one who ordained the path, secondly, this passage tells us that we get strength by watching other people run that path effectively. This is where we go back to the beginning of verse 1. In reference back to all of those saints, many of whom are mentioned by name in Hebrews chapter 11, and then toward the end of the chapter, many others are referred to in general terms. The attention of the readers is drawn to look back at people who have followed God successfully before us. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also run our race with endurance. This, this catalog in, in chapter 11 of, of so many Old Testament saints who faithfully ran and completed and won their races is given to us so that we would be inspired by them. Know that you're not alone in the race. In other words, that's what the Bible is telling us. You're not alone in this race. And that can make all the difference. You know, earlier when I was talking about this race I was in the middle of, where we're now past halfway, I spent probably the third uh, quarter of this race, as I said, just doing this internal battle in my head. This guy was pushing me to run harder and faster than I had ever run before. I was behind him. I couldn't see his face. I didn't know how much agony he was in. For all I knew, he was comfortable and had all kinds of gas left in the tank. And I was struggling. I was hurting. And I'm battling in my head, Matt, you want to quit. You want to quit. And actually, it was uh, incredibly good fortune for me that right about that time, the course of, of the race happened to run past where all of the other teams, all the other athletes who were waiting for their races were kind of camped out and just waiting. And so we ran right by them. And they saw the, the, the athletes coming. So they line the, uh, the course for a little ways. There's all these people. There's probably 10 or 11 high schools there that were represented. So I didn't know most of these students, but they're there and they're waiting for their races to start. So they get up and they watch the current race. And so, they, hey, they're cheering us on. Here comes the two guys in the lead. And we run by and they're cheering us all. And then I got to the place where I ran past my fellow teammates, the, the athletes from my school. Here was all the varsity guys who were waiting their turn to run. Here's all the junior varsity and varsity girls. And there was dozens and dozens of people. They were my friends. They were teammates together. And of course, they see me kind of going toe-to-toe with this guy in this just dead-out race. And they're just screaming their lungs out. I'm running right past them. And they're yelling my name and they're cheering me on. And they're saying, go, go, you can do it. And that image of running through that tunnel of my friends three quarters of the way through this race and their cheers echoing in my mind is just burned into my brain because it made a huge difference. They had no way of knowing that at the time, but that just happened to be the moment in the race where we're about three quarters of the way through and I was just done. Physically and mentally, I was exhausted. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I was literally contemplating just dropping out of the race. And their cheers did two things for me. First of all, it was kind of a, a negative, but it was a good thing. I realized, like, I'm running right past them. I mean, they're five or six feet away from me as, as the two of us are running by. I'm like, if, if I pretend, oh, I got a cramp in my leg, or if I fall and pretend I twisted my ankle, which was really tempting at the time, believe it or not. But I'm like, if I do that, they're going to they're gonna know I quit. 
They're going to be able to see. I'm not going to be able to fool them. How can I face them when they're cheering so hard for me if I just quit? And that actually really gave me a boost. But the other thing that might have even been stronger was just the encouragement. It was just the encouragement. These are fellow athletes. These are cross-country runners. They, they knew what it was like to be in the thick of a hard race and to push yourself. And they were saying, we've done it. We know it. Go. You can do it. We're with you. We're for you. You're not alone. I'm not sure to this day I would have actually stayed in that race had I not run by my teammates at that time and heard their cheers for me. It made all the difference in the world. That's what, that's what the Bible is saying here. You know, Christian, when you're in the midst of your race and it's really hard and you're just tempted to be overwhelmed and quit, look around to all the other people who have run similar races and be encouraged by their example. Notice that, that each one of those people back in Hebrews chapter 11, although they had run the same race, the details were really different. They, they had the same course of following God all the way until their death, but the path that each one of them took, as we mentioned earlier, was different. I mean, you know, Noah was not told to leave a country that he knew and go to a new country where he would be a stranger. That was Abraham's task, not Noah's. Similarly, Abraham didn't encounter a burning bush and the demand from God to go confront the Egyptian king and face the Egyptian army. And likewise, Moses wasn't told to build a boat you see. They all had a different race to run that was laid out by God, but they all faithfully ran the race that was laid out before them. And in that sense, they can inspire us, even though their races may look very different than ours. Friends, reading the stories and learning about the histories of past saints Christian men and women who have given all to follow Jesus, even through tough times like we're going through, or sometimes even tougher times than we're going through, can be such a huge inspiration. And that may be worth keeping in mind in this particular time. Because there's, there's, there's a time to like stay dialed into the, the news and social media. There's, there's a time and a place for that. But as many of us have experienced, that can also become overwhelming. I mean, we can spend all of our time just reading social media posts about everybody's opinion, and we can just kind of get sucked into that. And at some point, it ceases to become encouraging, and it can actually become frustrating. Or, you know, you can watch the news, and it's important to stay up on the current state of events. But, but man, every headline can be about, you know, the president said this, and the governor said that, and, and all these details of just article after article, and newscast after newscast of every play-by-play -play thing, and you can get so sucked into that, it just becomes overwhelming. There's a place for it, but there's a good place to pull back from that as well. Likewise, there's a place for just some healthy kind of entertainment and escapism. There's a, there's a place for binge-watching our favorite TV shows or playing a video game or watching a movie together or having a game night or something like that. There's a good and healthy place for that. But of course, we can spend all of our time there as well. And that, at some point, ceases to become as helpful. Well, there's a time to watch the news and there's a time to have some healthy entertainment and escapism. There's also a time, could I suggest, that there's also a time to read about dead people who have followed Jesus well and finished their course. And that can be encouraging for us. 
uh, just recently, it was right at the beginning of this whole uh, pandemic outbreak, uh, my family had the opportunity to watch a, a brand new docudrama that was filmed about the life of St. Patrick. Uh, St. Patrick was a 5th century Welshman. The guy lived 1,600 years ago. I mean, his life bears almost no resemblance to the details of my life. He was uh, enslaved and hauled off to Ireland. He eventually, after several years of slavery, escaped and returned home. But he um, encountered God in a way that changed his life. And he ultimately became a priest, and he chose to go back to Ireland, where they were all still Druids, and they had pagan religions, and they didn't know about the love of Jesus. He went back to the place of his former enslavement to try to preach the gospel. He did. Many Irishmen and women came to faith in Christ, and the church was established in Ireland largely through the work of St. Patrick. That's an incredible story. And just watching how well they filmed it, interspersed with a few interviews of uh, historians who knew him well. The title of the docudrama is I Am Patrick. You could Google that and look it up. It's well worth watching and reading about. Or much more recent history, one of the modern classics is the book Through Gates of Splendor. It was written to tell the story of five young American missionaries, the true story in the 1950s, of five missionaries who were killed by bringing the gospel of Jesus to an unreached tribe in Ecuador. The book was written by Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of one of the five. You, you think what these men had and what they did, they knew the risks and they finally landed to make contact with this tribe and all five of these young men died as the members of the tribe stuck spears through their body and killed them on the banks of a river in the Ecuadorian rainforest. What motivates those people? How did the now widow, Elizabeth, live her life? What burdens did they all have to bear? And what kind of thinking leads somebody to do that? How do they cope with the pain and the grief and the loss? What prompts somebody to take that kind of risk? I have so many questions flow through my mind. And you read and you watch who they are. And it encourages and inspires and it challenges. There's a film version of that as well that was made in the 90s, if my memory serves correctly, called The End of the Spear. So either the book, Through Gates of Splendor, or the film, The End of the Spear. Google those. Well worth looking up. Looking at the stories of past saints, long past and even near past, can really fuel our own experience. By the way, it's probably worth mentioning that there's, there's nothing magical about past saints. This can, can include present saints as well who are currently running their courses. I love listening to and reading the writings of Johnny Erickson Tata. She's faced a half a century of being a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. She's faced a half century of not only quadriplegia, but cancer and chronic pain and the kinds of suffering that, that most of us physically, thank God, are never going to have to go through. You know, it, it can be so easy sometimes to think um, that's an amazing story, but it just has nothing to do with my life, right? I mean, St. Patrick, a 5th century Welshman, what do I have in common with him? Johnny Erickson Tata, I mean, an amazing lady. I'm just, I'm really inspired by her. That's incredible. But I mean, that's not my world. I, I'm not a quadriplegic. I'm not facing cancer. So what can I really get from them? But of course, we can get a ton from them. 
That's why so many Old Testament saints were listed in Hebrews chapter 11 for the benefit of people who were living many, many years later. The Bible says, look back at Noah and be inspired. Not because God told you to build a boat, but because you can learn about Noah's faithfulness and how he ran his course. I look at Johnny Erickson Tata not because I am currently quadriplegic, but because I see somebody who is going through the hard road she's going through, and I listen to her thought process. How does she understand her pain? How does she connect with God? And it challenges me, and it inspires me. If she can go through that, I can learn the exact same thought patterns and apply them to myself. Oh, there is a ton I can learn from a 5th century Welshman or from a 21st century quadriplegic, brothers and sisters in Christ who are running their races well. Listening and reading to people like this gives any Christian who's paying attention ample education and inspiration. Enough education to reframe how we're seeing our own struggle and enough inspiration to continue when we feel like we can't go on. How can we spur one another on in the hard race right now? Church, how can we do that? Maybe it's something related to this COVID-19 isolation. Maybe it's getting hard for you, like I've acknowledged it is for me. Can I encourage us with a couple of thoughts? First of all, let me encourage us to be honest with one another and with ourselves and with God about where our struggles currently are. And then when we are honest with one another, like it's okay to get on a Zoom call with your community life group or, or get on the phone with a friend and just say, hey, how are you doing? You know, right now, I'm, I'm not doing so good. This is going on at home or that's going on with what I'm missing or I'm not sure about this situation with work or income. Like I'm really struggling right now. And to know that that's okay, that's real. That's not a sign of lack of faith or anything like that. We need to be honest with one another. And when we are honest with one another, let's empathize with one another. See, I, I can understand how hard that must be. That makes total sense. That kind of empathy goes a long way. I actually think we're pretty good at doing this kind of thing as a church. I just want to encourage us all the more to be real and honest and empathize with one another. But another thing I'd like to encourage us with is to also share our victories with one another. And in a funny way, that one can be a little bit harder sometimes, at least for some of us. It can be harder to, to kind of say, hey, here's how God is giving me victory in this area. Here's what I'm doing to stay encouraged by God because maybe we think, oh, I sound like I have it all together or whatever. There can be so many weird thoughts, but honestly, that none of that really matters. What matters is to say, boy, I need from, from you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, not only to know that you, you love me and you empathize with how hard it is, but I also need the encouragement and the inspiration. How are you running your race? Maybe I could do that too. How are you sharing your faith with your neighbors? I bet I could do that too. How are you getting through this tough time with Jesus? I bet I could do that too. Let's share our victories with one another, not because any one of us have it all together, because we know we're all running a race together. And maybe one final question to ponder would be, what, what past and present saints have you been inspired by that you could mention to your other fellow members at Harvest? Are there, are there books and biographies you've read? Are there stories or documentaries of Christians' lives that you've been personally inspired by that maybe somebody else could benefit from reading that book or watching that movie? This would be a great time to start sharing those stories with one another. And let's catch up to speed on the stories of some old dead past saints and maybe some currently alive ones who are running well. Let's circulate those stories and let them inspire us to run our race.
Our first point from this passage, strength comes from knowing that God is the one who's laid out the course. The second point is that strength to run the race comes first, uh, comes secondly from watching others run it successfully. But there's one more point from this passage, and we turn our attention there now. Strength to run this race also comes from watching Jesus himself run his race. That's verses 2 through 4. Let us run the race that is set before us, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what this is telling us? It's telling us that when God became a man, Jesus Christ, he lived a human life too, which meant he had a race to run just like you and I do. God the Father gave Jesus a course to run, and it was a tough and hard course, and he ran it. He ran it. His culminating ordeal, of course, was the cross that we just remembered this past Good Friday. It was an experience of betrayal, of injustice, of mockery, of torturous physical abuse, and of public shame as he hung and bled naked out in public for everybody to see and mock and be disgusted by, while he was forced to, forced to scale mountains of pain before finally dying. It is a mind-boggling ordeal. And he did it all to pay for the sins of me and of you. We're now told in verse 2 here to look to Jesus for inspiration and as an example. Because what better place is there to look? That's sort of the the implied question here. What better place is there to look? Friends, there's all kinds of places we can look for inspiration to get through a tough time. We can set goals. Maybe when I get through this time, I'll hit this point and then life will be better. We can uh, read past stories of people who have done inspiring things and say, I want to do that too. And those things probably all have some value. But friend, if you're watching this, can I ask you, when things really get hard, when the chips are really down, Maybe it's a, an economic shutdown from a virus that has destroyed your career path. Or maybe it's a diagnosis that forever changes your life. When a marriage or a family relationship breaks apart and it's irreconcilable. When a loved one dies. When life really gets hard, who do you look to? And how do you cope? Man, that's a human question. Every one of us as human beings is going to have to face that question sooner or later. What is your hope? How do you cope? The Bible is begging us to look to Jesus, the only true and sure hope. That's part of what makes Christ so beautiful. This incredible ordeal Jesus went through on the cross was the Father's plan, the Father's path that he had ordained for Jesus to walk because he was paying the cost of my sin and your sin. 
He did this so that you and I could have that warm welcome to look forward to that we mentioned earlier. That finish line that we could cross and be embraced and accepted by God. Though I am an imperfect sinner, I can be embraced and accepted by a perfect and holy God and loved and welcomed as a cherished son. That's why Jesus went through his ordeal. The Bible says he's the only way that we can be assured that God is going to accept us, is to repent of our sins and accept that Christ went through Good Friday's horrific ordeal. He ran his incredibly difficult race in order to pay for our sins on our behalf. And once we've repented of that, then to follow him as Savior and King. If you're watching this and you have not embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, could I invite you to embrace the greatest hope, the Bible says, that humanity has ever experienced. That Christ ran an unthinkable race and he did it for you and he did it for me. If you've got any questions about what it means to start a relationship with Jesus, can I ask you to call us here at the church office this week, 503-629-8300. One of our pastors would be delighted to talk to you about where you're at in your life, the love that God has for you, and to find the hope that the Bible says is there for each one of us. Well, Jesus' death pays the price for our sins so that we can become Christians and know that there is a finish line that we can look forward to. But you know what? There's one more thing as we wrap up to notice in this passage. Jesus' death not only enables us to become Christians and to have that finish line to look forward to, but his example also sustains us in our own journey. Here we see how Jesus' death is a source of inspiration to fuel our endurance and a model for running our long, hard race well. It takes me back to the closing section of that sophomore cross-country race I ran. Just after I'd gotten past all of my friends who had cheered me on and kept me in the race, there was a moment where I was able to pass the guy I was racing against, and I had no idea how close he still was, but I moved out in front of him, and I suddenly couldn't see him anymore. And I was now toward the tail end of the race. There was a long grass field, a wide grass field that we were running around, and it was up against a hillside. The race course went up a trail, a long climb up the hillside, and came down the other side, and then finished on a grass straightaway. And as I was going up that hillside, suddenly I was far enough away that I couldn't hear the cheers of my friends anymore. I couldn't hear anything except the pounding of my feet and the gasping of my own breath until one solitary voice came through. Right down at the bottom of the hillside, one of the assistant coaches from my school was serving as a race official. So he was down there, and he was looking up the hillside at me, and he was yelling, and he was cheering me on. There was Coach Raul. I love Coach Raul. He was um, a full-grown 40-something man. He was all of like five foot, maybe one on a good day. He was just a little guy who could run forever. He was quiet, his demeanor. He hardly ever smiled. He hardly ever talked. But that was the one and only time he was just elated, yelling for me, screaming at me, encouraging me on because he knew I was ahead and he knew I could win. And I could hear nothing but the pounding of my own feet, the gasping of my own breath, and Coach Raul's voice reverberating off that hillside. A, a, a whoop and a yell I had never heard come out of that man's mouth. And in that moment, he encouraged me, press on toward the end you can do this. You can do this. 
when all others fade. Jesus is there. And, and he knows what it's like to run a hard race because he ran an unimaginably hard one himself. You look at verses 2, uh, 3, and 4. Consider him who endured from such sinners, uh, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. It's clear. We've already talked about what that means, the ordeal that he went through. It also says that he despised the shame, which is an interesting phrase. The word despised there, it means, it means he disregarded it. Um, he thought little of it. That's the idea. Here he was in pain and being mocked in open shame, uh, an experience that was designed to break down the will, and he was able to not regard that very highly. He was able to disregard it. Why? How was he able to pull that off? How was he able to continue faithfully through it all to the end? The answer is that he kept his eyes on the prize. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Constantly keeping our eyes on the goal that we have and looking to Jesus as an example of that can be a huge inspiration. In fact, verse 4 makes it really clear. If Jesus can go through that successfully, then I can go through this without quitting. Whatever this happens to be for me right now. Brothers and sisters, when you feel you can't take it anymore, and you feel that God is simply asking too much of you, look to Jesus hanging on that cross. How can Jesus' example today motivate your endurance to just, to just take the next step, to get up out of bed just today, to just keep going? What would it take for you to soak in the reality of what Jesus went through to the point where it penetrates to your heart, reframes your own race, and moves your heart to keep going? necessarily make it any easier, but it can give us fuel for the journey and refreshment so that we can stay at a long, hard road. Last of all, members of Harvest Community Church, how can we help one another with this? How can we encourage one another by knowing that God has the race laid out, that many other people have run it faithfully before us, and that our own Savior has gone through all of it so that we can have a home with Him? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel. The horror of what you went through paradoxically is so beautiful because of how you sustained your race through looking to your reunion with the Father in heaven. But the very fact you ran that race means that we too can look forward to a reunion with God the Father as a father as someone who will love us, embrace us, because you, Jesus, have paid for our sins. God, for everybody who is tuning in to this stream, I pray that you would move our hearts to repent of our sins, to lay those weights aside, perhaps for the first time ever, or perhaps for the 10,000th time. And I pray that in so doing, God, you would fuel our uh, empty tanks, that you would strengthen our weak knees and our weak hands, that you would motivate discouraged souls.
God, give us a heart as members of this church to reach out to one another, encourage one another, empathize with one another, pray with one another, and motivate one another to stay faithful to the task you have given us to do. And through that grace, God, would you lead many people in our community to saving faith in you for our good and your glory, Jesus. We ask these things. Amen.